Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. I don't think we've talked much about forages yet on this podcast, so we'd like to focus on that today. Um, Last year was a pretty difficult year all across the board, and forages were not excluded from that. And this year, we've heard a lot of reports of lower yields, especially coming off that first cutting. So our guest with us today is YouTube sensation, Christine Gelly. She puts a lot of videos out there on forages, um, everything from production to weeds, et cetera. So we're glad to have you with us, Christine. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. So um, I'm an extension educator for Ag and Natural Resources in Noble County, which is Southeast Ohio. A lot of people will know where Marietta is, but not know where Caldwell is. Uh, Caldwell is the county seat of Noble County, and we are about 30 miles north of Marietta. Uh, So we are in Appalachia and have a lot of forestry and pasture ground here and a lot less agronomic crop production. So um, I'm lucky that that is my area of specialization and what I really enjoy focusing on, and that happens to be what my clientele need. So um, a lot of my time is spent on developing written um, as well as video resources to help people manage their pasture and hay ground. Yeah, Southeast Ohio, once you start to cross over into that area, it's almost like you're in a different state. All the forages on the hillsides make for beautiful views as you're driving through. Yeah, that's part of my my favorite part of being here is that's that's exactly the environment that I thrive in. So we were very excited to have the opportunity to make this home. Yep, I love driving through there because every time it's it's almost like a vacation going to Southeast Ohio. Um, so you do have the opportunity down there to work with a lot of forages. You see them all over as you're driving through. Could you explain what some of the challenges were making hay last year? Oh, sure. The, the most upfront issue is just we had heavy moisture through all basically spring through the end of June. And we sometimes joke about making first cutting hay on the 4th of July, but that's usually worst case scenario. Um, but that was reality for a lot of folks out the state, here in other parts of the state as well as we all know, it was difficult than I've ever seen in my lifetime to try to plant any crops or get anything harvested um, in the spring. So our production goals in, in forages are a little bit different when you're dealing with perennial systems and trying to make hay. We're usually dealing with a crop that's already established and we're really just waiting for the soil conditions to be adequate for us to go out and take equipment onto it without creating a mess. Whereas in other systems, you're trying to get the crop in the ground and planning on harvesting later. And um, The biggest issue with not being able to get in and harvest in a timely manner is our forages drastically lose quality as they mature. Most of what we grow here in Ohio are cool season perennial grasses. So they thrive when the temperatures are below 85 degrees so that May time is usually ideal for first cutting if the soils can support using equipment on them. 
And once we get into mid-June, we're starting to really see declines in quality. We have a lot of STEMI and CD growth. And um, that, that really increases the fiber content of the forages and makes them more difficult for livestock to digest. So we run into a lot of issues with nutritional value when we get into late harvest. Were farmers um, trying to get in there and doing damage to those fields, or was it more that they weren't able to get the hay off at all, maybe a little of both? So what were your recommendations and maybe even continuing into this year to kind of combat some of those issues from last year? Yeah, good question, Amanda. It, it was definitely a combination of both. I think uh, folks who've been in this type of business for a long time, they are able to be a little bit more patient because they've learned from past experiences of getting things stuck or uh, creating big ruts or compacted areas in the fields, and they've developed the, the wisdom to wait it out. And I think that when you're confronted with that type of a situation, the lesser of the two evils is, is to just wait because you can certainly cause more damage by tearing up the soil and the, the established forage when it's too wet than having one part of your harvest for the season being poor quality. We still have more chances to get second and third cutting. Um, usually we wind up with drier conditions due to temperature, not really because we have less precipitation, but because it's warmer, um, conditions tend to be drier as we move further into the summer and early fall. So we do have a chance to try to make up for some of that poor quality forage. But if we get in there too early and we tear up the ground, we get our equipment stuck or broken, uh, we've created additional expenses for ourselves and soil takes a long time to heal when we damage it. So I think that the, the best solution in those situations is just to be patient and wait. My husband's a tractor mechanic and um, there are plenty of instances where people were stuck in situations they probably shouldn't have tried last year, but they were eager to get out and try to get something harvested or planted and the best thing to do would have just been to hold off. Yeah, I think that's pretty similar no matter what your crop is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no, you do we do see a lot that. of issues with compaction when when people push the envelope a little too far and choose to go in and maybe they don't create intense ruts or get stuck, but you can certainly see in the years following the the areas of the field that are chronically compacted and most people here have a fairly high clay content in their soil and compaction certainly is, is difficult to deal with in clay soils and it's definitely visible for multiple seasons when you when you have compaction issues. Yeah I know around here you know we had quite a few hay fields where we had areas that had water damage from early in the year and then when everyone wanted to go in and patch in it got pretty dry so even this year we're seeing you know, seeing areas in the field that aren't recovering all that well. Um, what recommendations do you have for, for producers who are looking to um, improve those fields and get them back up to par? I think that um, some thought into why those were problematic areas to begin with. Of course, 
we can't control the weather and how much rain we receive, but we can look at patterns of how water moves across our fields and trying to identify spaces that are chronically wet. Maybe we need to reconsider what we plant there. One of the beautiful things I think about forage production is the ability to be more diverse with what we use to plant. Uh, many forage systems are not monocultures. We can incorporate multiple species into the same field and be successful. So looking at those heavily damaged areas, maybe there are better suited forages for those spots that would thrive in case we have the same types of situations again in the future. There's, there are forages that will do pretty well in chronically wet or chronically dry soils. And those are probably the ones we should look to, to put in those really problematic areas. Some may assume that tillage is the answer to try to repair some of those rutted up or compacted spots. And that's not always helpful either. Usually when we till in a forage system, we wind up getting a lot more weeds than we started with. And then we have an issue with weeds and competition to deal with along with struggling to get our forages back. So looking at selecting forages that will thrive in that space, knowing the issues that it has and being willing to replace them, I think is key. And also considering that machinery may not be the solution, running more implements across the surface of the soil may not improve the situation for us. We may need to be looking um, more towards what's happening in the root zone of those plants. What types of plants can we put down that will infiltrate heavily compacted soils um, or will thrive through a chronically wet situation? We've seen lots of issues with alfalfa in chronically wet years, and people are used to growing that as a highly valuable crop. But if we're continuing to see issues in those sites, it it may be worth considering a different crop. It's expensive to establish new stands and it's even more expensive when you lose them. So uh, sometimes we need to, to revoke on what realistically we can have in those spaces and uh, consider trying to rehabilitate them with something we may think is less than ideal for a few years while we reboot those soils and get them back where they should be and um, take time to evaluate why those issues arose in the first place. And you bring up some really great points with the compaction issues, even in our row crop fields with the weather patterns we've been seeing. You know, compaction seems like it's, it's getting worse and worse, even in areas that weren't trafficked as much. So I like your, your thoughts on creative ways to help revitalize those fields. I'm a big fan of using the no-till drill to seed forages. It, like all tools, you do have to wait for conditions to be dry enough to, to use the equipment. But when you can use the drill to get the seed placed in the soil at the correct depth, you're going to reduce issues with compaction, fewer trips across the field. You're going to reduce issues with weeds because you haven't stirred up the entire topsoil. It, it's, I feel like it's a relatively easy, use, easy tool to use, uh, but some people seem to be pretty uh, resistant to trying it. But I think that more use of a no-till drill to establish forages could really benefit folks in their 
forage systems for sure. And with more and more people going back to planting their soybeans in rows, there might be some no-till drills out there that you could get for a nice steal. A lot of folks around uh, in our area are able to rent drills from their soil and water conservation districts. I don't know how that is throughout the rest of the state, but um, that can really help to save costs when um, this isn't something you do on a regular basis so that you don't have to buy that equipment yourself. It's usually very affordable and um, relatively easy to rent that equipment. So I'd encourage people to check in with their soil and water conservation districts to see if equipment is available and also contact implement dealers. Sometimes they won't advertise that they rent equipment, but they may have some they'd be willing to rent if you ask. Yeah, I think uh, those are two great points. Um, I think the soil and water district, it just varies from county to county. Um, for example, in Champaign, it's my understanding we used to have one, but we don't anymore. But um, some neighboring counties have them too. So there's also always the option to hire someone to custom drill as well if uh, you, you know, I get calls from people who might have one field or something, they want to do something different with it. And that's an option, especially if they don't have a tractor to pull the drill. Right, right. And, and being able to, having the knowledge of how to use the drill to begin with is, is key, because if you don't know how to calibrate it, or troubleshoot it, inevitably you're going to have some issues with your stand. Um, so taking the time to find somebody who knows how to operate it or um, teaching yourself how to use one if you're able to access one for rent or borrow one from someone else. I, I always tell people, make sure you calibrate your equipment before you start. We talk about that all the time in different aspects of agriculture. It's different with a no-till drill and forage. We're trying to get a specific number of pounds per acre on at a specific depth. And if we don't check it before we load all the seed into the hopper and run across the field, we're really, I feel like we're tempting fate there. One of the most common reasons that new seedings fail is because they're planted too deep. And usually we can correct that during calibration. Uh, something we haven't really mentioned so far is, is soil fertility. And that's always something to consider when you're looking at reviving a troubled situation. Many of these fields are probably good fertility plains that were damaged by the weather last year, but we still can have leaching of nutrients. If we're considering putting in different forages than we've had in the past, fertility needs may be different than what we're used to. Um, so we should always, always like in every aspect of agriculture, do a soil test before we select a new forage or before we uh, rehabilitate a site. Things could have changed since the last time that you checked. And if we expect plants to thrive there, we need to provide the nutrients they need. You really don't know what we have unless we check. That's, that's no different in a forage situation than it is with a row crop. Yeah, that's a great point. Leading into that, I mean, potential yield decreases due to nutrient um, lack of nutrients, but we've heard reports of forages being drastically lower in yield than their average this year. So is that because of the problems we had last year or is something else at play? I think that's multifaceted. Of course, it's going to depend on exactly on where your farm sits, but we have had two challenging situations. We had 
too much moisture throughout much of the growing season last year. And then we had a pretty slow warm up here in spring. As I mentioned earlier, most of our perennial pastures are cool season grass based. And so they tend to thrive in that 55 to 75 degree zone. And we actually took a long time to get up to that temperature zone compared to most years. We had late frost. From my perspective, where I sit, things are two to three weeks behind normal in maturing and flowering. And so where we are, we actually had decent weather to get out and make hay at a time when it was appropriate and it was dry enough. But I think those pastures may not have had enough time to accumulate that much dry matter, that yield that we were expecting because it was cold early on. And um, they, it, it just, it takes time to build that yield, to build the leaf growth. And so even if we're seeing those plants develop into reproductive maturity, there may not be as much leaf material there as what we would normally expect because we had a cold and a slow start in spring. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. I just assumed that it was, you know, carryover from last year. But when you mentioned that spring was cooler than normal, you know, we had the same same thing going on here. Yeah, so if you think about the uh, being in a, a stressed environment where it was too wet, um, you finally got some growth back on you in the fall and you're hoping to come out strong in the spring and then it's just cold, you're going to have some struggles. There was a struggle to rebuild um, healthy root systems after being exposed to all that moisture and then it's difficult to put on healthy, vibrant, succulent growth in the spring when the temperatures are too cold. So um, I think a combination of the two is what's leading to those less than expected yields. And some of that could be fertility related as well, but I think it's, it's primarily the weather that's contributing to that. Weather aside, what's one of the biggest challenges you see growers struggle with um, year after year in forage production? And then what are some of the solutions that you work with them on? The biggest struggles that I think we see are some of the most basic concepts of forage production and that timing of when you're going to do certain tasks. And we, we do see issues with um, inappropriate fertility or a too low of pH, especially in my area of the state, we tend to have pretty acidic soils. And that's one of the first things that we see when a soil test comes back, even on fields that have been in production for a long time and they've been monitoring it. Being able to work in the tasks to do forage production seems to be one of the biggest struggles. You usually have multiple other tasks going on at the farm at the time you're ready to harvest hay. And usually those other things are given higher priority over haymaking. So it's one of those tasks that sometimes gets put on the back burner. We'll get to it when we get to it. And we get to it a little too late. And that leads to harvesting forage that's of lower quality. It leads to issues with weeds. And um, we see those issues later down the road when it comes time to feed. Uh, material to our livestock and even in grazing situations the same is true we um, we need to be thinking about how much forage is available for our animals to eat and when we may need to move them or allow that pasture to rest 
and it can be difficult to timely manage those aspects of production. I think I've actually seen better management of pastures and hayfields during the pandemic than in a normal situation because people have been home more often and observing those things more closely uh, and noticing how the timing is playing out and how big of a difference it makes when you do get tasks accomplished um, when it's best for the plants rather than best for your schedule. Well, Christine, you've shared some wonderful information with us today, and I'm sure that our listeners are excited to learn more from you. So could you share some places where they can find information? Yeah, absolutely. We have a whole series of videos available. It's a video series called Forage Focus. There are about 24 videos available on YouTube. They're on the South Center's YouTube channel. You can search Forage Focus on YouTube and they'll pop up. We've been doing that show for about two years. There's a wide variety of topics that we discuss throughout the program. And I'm also available by email or phone if people would like to reach out and specifically contact me with questions or uh, ideas for topics to cover in the future. My phone number is 740-732-5681. And my email is gelly, G-E-L-L-E-Y dot two at osu.edu. It can be difficult to talk specifics for forages in a setting like this because everyone's systems are drastically different from one farm to another. So really having a one-on-one consultation with folks is uh, most helpful for giving advice on how to proceed in the future with your system. That's a great point, Christine, and we appreciate you making yourself available um, because forages is, I think, can be really complicated, um, especially when you're not used to working in it. So we appreciate your time and happy National Forages Week, right? Happy National Forage Week. Yes, we are celebrating um, all week through Saturday. And a, a great way that people can participate is to use the hashtags on social media to tell your forage story. Uh, you can tag National Forage Week and um, tell people about what you do. Because even though forages are one of the most important agricultural crops we have in the state and the nation, a lot of people don't even know what forage is. Take this opportunity this week to tell people about it. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.